Gentlemen by Jamie Hailstone. My father used to say he had the greatest tenant a landlord could ever wish for. It was the man who rented the little croft up by the loch every summer without fail. The man who always paid in advance and always left it absolutely spotless. The only thing he asked for was a hamper of the finest local food and a bottle of local single malt. Then he would leave behind half the bottle for us when he went. My father said that was the mark of a true gentleman. He might have been from a big city and driven a fancy car, but he always made sure that the workers were all right. He called himself the doctor. The doctor kept himself to himself. He didn't spend much time with the locals. You didn't see him out and about, but you always knew when he was there, because a bright yellow open-top roadster would be parked outside the cottage. All the boys from the village would go up in a group and stare at it. They all wanted to have a ride in that old car, but of course, they never got one. I did, though. never told anyone about this before, but I met the doctor properly once, just once, and he drove me home. Like my father said, he was a true gentleman. It was one of those summer nights when everything was going to hell in a handbasket. The midges were out in force and the heat was enough to cripple anyone, but my mother had sent me to the shops. Friday night in our house always meant bread and butter pudding. But someone had forgotten to buy the milk, so I had to go into town. On the way back, I got a puncture. And not just any puncture. The bang was so loud that I fell off my bike with shock. The pint of milk went flying over the handlebars and smashed all over the road. There was glass and milk everywhere. It was too late to go back to the shop. I just sat there, cursing my luck. Then I heard the noise of an engine. I turned around and saw in the distance that bright yellow roadster. As the car got nearer, I could make out the silver-haired man behind the wheel. It might have been the middle of summer, but he was still wearing a dark velvet suit. That's him all right, I thought. That's the doctor. As it got closer... The car began to slow down before coming to a halt just beside me. The doctor leaned out and waved. My dear chap, you seem to be having a spot of bother, he said. Is there anything I can do? I'd never met him before, but there was something about him that made me trust him. I couldn't quite put my finger on it. The doctor just had this air of natural authority. He was obviously used to giving orders rather than following them. I scrambled to my feet and explained about the bike, the milk and the bread and butter pudding. The doctor smiled gently. Well, that will never do, he said. We can't have you going without your pudding. And with that, he leapt from the car and came to my aid. It was incredible. He looked old enough to be my grandfather and yet he jumped out of the car like a child. His face was craggy but his eyes just seemed to sparkle with intelligence. He picked up my bike and studied the burst tire intently. Then he reached into his coat pocket 
and pulled out a strange metal object. No, that will never do, he muttered. There are some things even a sonic screwdriver cannot fix. This tyre has been well and truly ripped apart. My heart sank. Times were hard and my pocket money did not go very far. I'd patched that bike up a million times. But the doctor was right. No amount of glue or sticking tape would mend a hole that big. Fortunately, I think I have a spare at the cottage, said the doctor. And I might even have some milk too. Come on. Despite his age, he picked up my bike and placed it in the back seat of the car without even breaking into a sweat. But I wasn't sure about getting into a car with him. My mother always warned me about talking to strangers. You could never be too careful, she said. Then I saw my father walking down the road. He waved at the doctor, and the doctor seemed to recognise him and waved back. Is that your father? he asked, and I nodded. The doctor walked towards him, and they shook hands like old friends. I couldn't hear what they were saying, but after a while, the two of them came back down the road towards me. Both men were smiling and seemed to be sharing a joke. My father was a good judge of character. He always said he could tell a bad man from a thousand paces. Now listen here, son, he said. The doctor's going to fix your bicycle and bring you home. Just do exactly what he tells you and no mucking around. I promised that I would behave myself and got into the car. As we drove off, I turned around and waved goodbye. Then I looked back at the doctor. If you're a doctor, what sort of hospital do you work in? I asked, but he just laughed and said nothing. It didn't take long before we were at the cottage on the shores of the loch. My father had bought the land from the lead to let it out to holidaymakers. The croft was very popular with town folk. You go inside and make yourself comfortable, said the doctor. I'll see what I can do about your bicycle. Now, that croft has not changed in the slightest in all the years that it's been there. The thatched roof and stone walls have stood for centuries and probably seen everything imaginable. But as I walked inside, I could hear a peculiar humming noise that sounded like nothing on earth. And it seemed to be coming from the kitchen. I could have just plunked myself in the leather armchair by the fire. But I decided to have a little peek around the kitchen door to find out what was making that strange sound. It was the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. Sandwiched between the old stove and the breakfast table was a large blue police box. It was enormous. I just stood there, trying to figure out how on earth the doctor had got it into the kitchen in the first place. There was only one way in and only one way out of the croft, through a door barely five foot tall. Ah, there you are, said the doctor. I turned around and he was standing right behind me. His face was covered in dirt and oil and he was clutching what was left of my tyre. The doctor took one look at the police box and then one look at me. The explanation is quite simple, he said, grinning from ear to ear. It's all to do with relative dimensions. They've been putting ships in bottles for years. 
This is just the same thing on a slightly different scale. I could explain it further, but it's not going to get your puncture fixed any quicker, is it? The doctor walked up to the police box and opened the door. The humming became even louder. Don't worry, he said, stepping inside. I've got just the thing in here to fix your tyre. I won't be long. <laughs> if I were you, I'd go and stick yourself back down by the fire. And with that, he was gone, shutting the door behind him. The cottage suddenly felt a lot colder. It must have been getting late. The sun had even started to set. Feeling suddenly tired, I staggered back to the armchair and sat down. Strange thoughts filled my head like... The cottage was very remote and the shadows from the fire were very large. I kept looking at the kitchen door, hoping to see the doctor. But it was as if he wasn't even in the cottage anymore. I closed my eyes. Everything was so quiet. All I could hear was the crackling of the fire. Knock, knock. I almost jumped out of the chair. There was someone at the door. The doctor hadn't said he was expecting anyone. Knock, knock. The knocking got louder and more insistent. Whoever was outside was getting pretty angry. I got up and went to the door. Who is it? I said quietly, hoping there would be no reply. I am Ambassador Crone, said a loud, booming voice. I demand you let me in this instant. I am here to see the doctor. Open this door! I spent several seconds weighing up the relative merits of opening the door or leaving it shut. Whoever the ambassador was, he didn't sound very happy. Open this door now! He yelled. Don't you know who I am? Against my better judgment, I turned the handle and opened the door. There, standing in front of me, was a huge, green-skinned creature. He looked like a lizard that had somehow learned to walk. His face was long and thin, with a small beard right at the bottom of the chin. He peered down at me with a menacing glare. Nobody keeps me waiting, he cried, pushing me aside and marching in. I could see he was wearing the most amazing robes. They might have been silk or something. I wasn't sure, but they certainly looked expensive. He stood by the fire and sniffed the air loudly. There was something about his demeanour that was very odd. Did I mention that he had green skin? I must speak with the doctor now, he said irritably. I must have an audience with him. The fate of my world rests on it. Where is he? Then I said the most ridiculous thing I could have said, given the circumstances. The doctor can't help you now. He's fixing my bicycle. Well, the lizard ambassador went crazy. He grabbed me by my jumper and lifted me up so that he could look right into my eyes. He might have been all bluff and fiery when he walked in, but suddenly I noticed there was a look of desperation on his face. But I must speak to him, he said, putting me down again. I simply must. 
He alone can help us. And then the ambassador slumped into the chair and started to cry. I've travelled thousands of miles to be here. He sobbed. This is my first intergalactic mission. I cannot go back empty-handed. It would bring shame on the house of Crone. My family would never be able to enter the royal court again. The ambassador looked into the fire and sniffed. Where is the doctor? He asked again. No need to panic, my dear fellow, said the doctor, who suddenly appeared in the kitchen door, clutching a brand new inner tube. Here I am. You must be the ambassador from Colbatis Five. I was told someone new would be coming this year. The ambassador looked as giddy as a schoolboy. He got up out of the armchair and shook the doctor's hand. Oh, can I say, what an honor! Oh, it is to meet you, doctor. He said, his voice squeaky with excitement. Oh, I've heard so many things about you. Oh, they say you can silence armies with a single word. The doctor burst out laughing. Oh, <laughs> I, I wouldn't go that far, he replied. But, well, I do have my moments. Now, I believe I have something for you. The ambassador's face lit up. Do you mean? Oh, do you really mean? The doctor nodded politely and pulled something from his jacket pocket. I believe this is what you are looking for, he said. The ambassador could barely contain his joy. It was just a lump of bee stuff, but the ambassador held on to it like it was pure gold. Oh, you are truly a great man, Doctor, he whispered. My people are forever in your debt. I cannot thank you enough. The Doctor just smiled. Have a safe journey back, Ambassador, he said, and shook his green, lizardy hand. And that was it. The ambassador bowed towards me and walked out of the cottage. I never saw that strange creature again. What did you give him? I asked the doctor. The silver-haired man laughed. Well, it's rather embarrassing, really, he said. You see... Colbatis V has many minerals and boasts a highly advanced civilization. The one thing it does not have is lead. It's the scarcest metal in their galaxy. A lump like that might be worthless here on Earth, but on Colbatis V it is priceless. So every year, a delegation from the planet come here to visit, and every year I give them a lump of lead. They seem quite happy with the arrangement. It gives them all something to look forward to and prevents them from doing anything stupid. Like what? I asked. Well, the political situation on Colbatis V is quite sensitive. The king's a lovely chap and he keeps things ticking along very well. 
but his position is only safe as long as an ambassador returns home every year with a priceless piece of lead. And as for the opposition party, well, hmm, we wouldn't want them to get into power. But enough of this nonsense. We've got a bicycle to mend. The doctor had waved the new inner tube in front of me. I think you'll find that this lasts a great deal longer than your average inner tube. And he was right. I don't know what it was, but I can tell you that I've never had a puncture again. It was incredible. I must have cycled all over the Highlands for another ten years on it, and to this day, <laughs> it has never burst. But I never saw him again, although he carried on renting out that cottage for a good few years. Then he suddenly stopped. Other people take it over the summer now, families usually. But I'll never forget him. The man who could fix bicycles like magic and make giant lizards happy with bits of lead. <laughs> He was a true gentleman. <laughs>